Your Bibles turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. While you're turning there, um, one of the things we believe as Christians is that God created everything that we see. God created the heavens and the earth, and in his creation process, he uniquely wove in this principle of the Sabbath, that on the seventh day, God rested. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I don't think God needed to rest. It wasn't something for him, but rather as an example for us, because within the way he created us, he wants us to take time to get aside from all that we're doing and to simply rest, to disconnect. And so, especially over the last couple of years, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I work on Sundays. Um, it's just part of what I do, I work on Sunday. So Monday is my day off. And so I really protect Mondays. I try not to go to the office. I try not to have meetings. I try really hard to protect that time to kind of disconnect, so to speak. And um, one of the things I've come to realize as I've aged a little bit is that I need more disconnect. I just need more rest in order to function. Uh, I, I look back at the days when we started Fullness 30 years ago when I did the worship and the preaching and I was the church secretary and janitor um, with the help of our elders who did a lot of those things as well. I'm like, I have no idea how I did that. I barely preach on Sunday morning before I need to take a nap now. Uh, so uh, one of the things we uh, have been planning for the past year is for me to take an extended period of time off, for Kathy and I to take a little bit of time to disconnect. I, I know I look young, I sound great, I look marvelous, but I am aging, uh, and I, yeah, amen, come on, uh, but I am aging. Uh, I've been pastor of fullness for 30 years next year, and uh, I, was, I, I wasn't in my 20s when we started, so you do the math, um, for 30 years. So no matter how you cut it, I'm in the fourth quarter uh, of my ministry, um, if I get God gives me the privilege of going for another 10 years, which I pray he does. I, I'm still in the fourth quarter. We know games are won and lost in the fourth quarter, right? Uh, for all us football fans, we know that's where they're won and lost. And I want to finish well in my ministry of fullness. So um, starting in two weeks, some of you are surprised I'm even here today because I announced it last Sunday and you thought I was gone like then. I wish. But I've got uh, two more weeks, two weeks from today. Uh, I'm going to start a two-month time of being away. Uh, and Kathy is as well. So I, I'm asking you to pray for us, um, for us to have a time where we refresh and renew. And it's really a time for soul care. Uh, we said this morning, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And for me, this is a time of disconnect and soul care. It's not a time of study like what sermons I'm going to preach in the fall or next year. It's a time for me to reconnect with God and in my passion so that my tank is filled up and hopefully uh, it will bless you. God blessing me hopefully will bless you. And I know God blessing Kathy who's, you know, much, you know, we should let her open the service every week, right? Uh, because she's just got that 
passion for the things of Jesus. So uh, and pray for us. Honestly, I don't think it's going to be that hard for me to disconnect. I mean, really, mentally, I'm pretty much there already. So uh, it's not going to be hard for me, but please pray for my wife. She is so integrated into the life of our church that I think it's going to take her a little longer to disconnect. We were laughing a couple of weeks ago because she was um, texting like nursery workers and doing all this stuff. And she goes, you know, when I'm away, I've got to text these people and make sure that I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're not texting anybody. That's why we're disconnecting. You've got people who can handle it. You've got people who are gifted. Just give it over to, she's like, what if someone doesn't show up? They don't show up. You're not even going to know they don't show up. That's the great part. If you're really disconnected, you won't know for months from now. Our children will survive or they'll be in the service. And then there's Scott and Gabe's problem. They're not yours. So it's going to be anyway. Be in prayer for us uh, two weeks from today. Kathy, I'm going to leave. Then Kathy's going to be here for children's camp for that week. And uh, then she'll connect with me and we'll spend a couple of months connecting with the Lord. Amen? So prayer, we'll pray, you'll get an opportunity to pray for me on that last Sunday, June the 5th. But today, Luke 15. You know, Jesus taught in parables. Um, parables are stories that have a point and um, are very memorable. Here's the thing I've come to learn over 30 years of preaching. The odds are really, really really high that you don't remember anything I said two weeks ago. I didn't preach last week, so I'm not going to sell Scott out. You may remember his more. But you don't remember probably almost anything I said two weeks ago. But tons of you have thanked me for the installation of a certain item in our church that I mentioned two weeks ago. So when you think back on that sermon... You may not remember the point, but you have thanked me for the new toilets. Uh, many of you have texted, emailed, you know, told me in person. Thank you. Why? Because stories are memorable. The way our minds work, we remember stories more than we remember many other things. And in Luke 15, we find Jesus uh, teaching, ministering, and while he is there... Excuse me, one second. While he's there, it says, now the tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners, the bad people, the, not the beautiful people, but the ones who had problems, were all gathering around to hear him. There's something in this first sentence that, that should capture our hearts, where Jesus is going not to the beautiful people, but rather to the broken, the hurting, the outcast, the sinners. The beautiful people, known as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Not only does he welcome them, but he is sharing a meal with them. It's terrible. And what they're saying is... By implication, Jesus, because he's sharing a meal with them, he is one of them. They're, they're, 
they're casting aspersions on the character of Jesus, saying that it's not just that he's with them, he's fellowshipping with them. He must be one of them. Jesus told them this parable. Now, what follows in Luke 15 is remarkable. And I can't in two weeks, and I'm going to take two weeks to cover Luke 15, I can't even cover in part all the richness of this passage. But you'll remember, Jesus starts off and says, there was a shepherd, he had a hundred sheep. One got lost, he left the 99, went and got the sheep that was lost, brought it back, and all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. Now, I don't know about you, I, 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 I'm, I've got a lot of confessions I'm going to make about me over the last, next couple of weeks. But one of them is, I just don't get this parable. I got 99 good sheep. Why would I leave the 99 good and go get the one? Right? Hello? I mean, what happens while I'm away? What happens to the 99 when I go to get the one? What if they, some, what if 10 of them get eaten or Something happens while I'm not looking out after them. Jesus is trying to make a point that seeing people come to know God is critical. There there should be a passion in our hearts. In our flesh, we were like, 99 is pretty good. You know, the one, he's probably deserved it. You know, he's probably a stupid sheep. Wandered off, got himself lost. I don't want that. I don't want that DNA pool in my sheep's anyway. Just let them wander off into the darkness. But no, the shepherd goes and finds him and gets him. Again, rich passage. Then he says, then there's a woman who had ten coins. She lost one in her house. She tore the place up. She emptied it. She swept it. She dusted it. She She did everything to find this one coin. And then, what does she do when she finds the one coin? Do you remember? Parties. Because she found the one coin. She probably spent more on the party than the coin was worth. Again, you look at it and you're like, logically, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure about this story. I mean, why would you spend more on a party then you probably, the coin was worth. You know, and and I think in some senses, Jesus is saying, we value the wrong thing. Sometimes we value, put value in the things we shouldn't value, and we don't value the things that we really should party about. And again, it's the idea of someone coming to know, uh, someone lost who is now found. So he's gone from 100 sheep, to 10 coins, and then he says, there was a man who had two sons. Two sons. And what follows is the longest parable, the longest really teaching story found in all of the Gospels. This story and the Good Samaritan are probably the best known of Jesus' parables. I mean, it's debatable. But this whole idea of the prodigal son has captured imaginations for all these two centuries since Jesus was, has been teaching. Rembrandt's 
painting, The Return of the Prodigal, uh, is found in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. I don't think any of us are going to see it anytime soon, uh, but I would love to see it in person. I have this, a print of this painting in my home. Uh, it's very, very meaningful to me. And over the next two weeks, I want to look at the two sons. This week, I want to look at the prodigal. And next week, I want to look at the elder brother. Now, most parables have a surprise kind of aspect to them, a turn of the phrase. And I hope you'll be back next week. But just in case you aren't, all of the attention in this parable, when people talk about it, is the prodigal and the return of the prodigal, and the prodigal coming back, and the father's love, and the party that he throws, and the fatted calf, and the, and the coat that he puts on, and the rings that he wears. And everybody's focus seems to be on the prodigal, and the surprise is this, the elder brother. The elder brother, I think, is where Jesus really aims all three of these parables and really twists. Because who was at the beginning of the chapter saying, why, do you, why are you partying with these sinners? It was the elder brothers. And they're looking at what Jesus is doing. And Jesus tells these three parables in a sweeping fashion to get to the point of, you know, the problem's not the prodigal who left and came back. The problem is the person who stayed and is still bitter, the, the elder brother. So today, I do want to talk about the prodigal, but I'm giving my hand away a little bit to say, come next week, because I want to give you confessions of the elder brother. Because really, the one that I relate to in this story is the elder brother, personally. And I think many of us, if you've been in church very long, you're, we are all in, in danger of becoming elder brothers. And so for most of us here, we've been prodigals, were prodigals, came back to Jesus. If you're still a prodigal today, hey, welcome home. But if you're, you know, prodigals, we were all there at one time. We came back, we rejoiced, but the longer we're in the Christian life, the longer we're in church, the more we drift toward an elder brother mentality. But that's next week's sermon. So come back next week, because I can't do it in one, or we'd be here way too long, which we're probably going to be anyway. But next week, elder brother. Here's some things about the prodigal that I want you to see. And I'm not even going to read the end of the parable. And I, I know I hate doing this because I'm, I'm one of those who likes to teach the whole thing, bring it together, but I just don't have time. So I want to look just at the part of the parable about the prodigal today. The son who leaves. So let's just get going. First thing is this. There is a danger in our existence of rebellion. There's not just a danger. There's a reality of rebellion in all of our lives. Every single one of us, either now or in the past or will be in the future, are rebels at heart. It's part of our just broken nature is that we want, we want to find our own way. We want the joy of self-discovery. We want to say, I did it my way. We want that claim of knowing who we are. So let's look at the parable real quick. There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided the, his property between them. Older brother, younger brother. Now, by the way, in this time, we can talk about a lot, but most time, younger brothers really didn't get anything. I mean, he's pretty blessed at this moment to even get a share of the property. Most of it should have just gone to the older brother, but the father is going to divide it equally among the two sons. Not long after that, he's got his property, he's got the division, but now he's saying, I got my stuff, I want to take off. So that's what he does. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, I've seen a lot of paintings and stories about the wild living part. What was he doing? You know, what kind of party? Jesus doesn't really specify right here. He just says he squandered it all in wild living. What cracks me up is at the end of the parable, the elder brother is the one who comes to the father and says, how can you party with this younger brother who squandered your money? You know he was with prostitutes. He's the one who specifically says, here's what he was doing. Does that not crack you up a little bit? I mean, do you see the irony there that the, it's the older brother who's selling him out? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He squanders everything. Now there's a famine. He's got nothing. You know the story. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, you know, you've been around long enough. You know this story. You know the depth of it, that he's, he squandered everything so much that he, he is now working in, in, in an arena that is seen as unclean, unfit. Pigs were not, pigs were horrible. You might as well be dead to be working with pigs. Now me, I love me some good bacon. So I don't think my Jewish heritage is coming out too much in uh, my life. But here in this time, because of the Jewish rituals and laws, being with the pigs, and he, he wanted, he was so starving, he wanted to eat even the pot. He, was, he had gone to that level. I mean, to the listeners of Jesus, you can't imagine the horror that they were just, ooh, that is so gross kind of thing. That is horrible. I mean, they were probably, their skin was crawling. They, they were just not receiving. This is the danger of rebellion. Rebellion will take you to a place that you can't even imagine at this point. I mean, you can't imagine yourself there. I mean, honestly, I'm, I, I've had the privilege and horror of counseling many, many, many people in my lifetime. And I, I haven't I haven't counseled one who said, you know what? I just woke up this morning and I thought, I'm going to ruin my life. I am going to, I'm going to give myself to drugs. I'm going to give myself to pornography. I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to run out on my wife. I'm, it's, it's this journey into darkness. And it's the danger of, none of them would have, when they started off, with something so innocuous where they knew in their heart, I shouldn't do this. I really shouldn't be involved in this. None of This younger son never saw himself ending up with the pigs. But that's the danger of rebellion. 
it's a death knell to yourself and your future. And people are always wandering off in rebellion. It's, it's who we are apart from Christ. And it, it has to do with people getting restless and saying, I want to I wanna find myself. Now, here's the problem with finding yourself. You might actually find yourself. And what you're going to find when you find self is something very broken. Because that's the nature of man. Finding yourself is an act of rebellion that leads to death every single time. It is not a journey to discovering. It's not like this door opens and here I am in wonderland when I find myself. What you find when you find yourself is you're generally among the pigs. And I don't say that in an ugly sense. I just want to tell you, we're all broken. This is the nature of man apart from God. And there are lots of t reasons people get restless and go out looking for themselves. One is because that is the nature of deception. That's what the devil wants of you. He wants to deceive you and say, you can find yourself. Just go do it yourself. You are perfect whatever you are, so go just go find whatever you are. You know, whatever, whatever feeds your soul, whatever sexual desire, whatever monetary desire, whatever intellectual desire, just go find it because that's where you're going to find you and that's where you're going to be wonderful. You know, I, I'm sorry to say to every single one of us, there's not one of us in this room who are Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful. We're Mr. and Mrs. Prodigal in our nature. And it will lead to, it's a deception is what I'm trying to say to you. You got me? It's a deception. If you're, you know, Scott preached last week to our high school graduates. I, I want to say to you, you're going to go to college and you're going to get fed a steady diet of, you're wonderful. You, you're great. However you are right now, you're great. Whatever sexual predilection, if you, if you like people of the same sex, if you just want to have sex, if you just want to do this or you want to do that, you just go for it because that's who you are and that's where you're going to find satisfaction. And I, I don't care if you're heterosexual, homosexual, unisexual, no sexual, whatever. You will, you will never find who you are in your sexuality. I mean, just point blank. You won't find who you are in your sexual nature or your sexual desire. You only find out who you are by finding out who you are in Jesus. And so that lie, that deception, that far country will not lead you to where God wants you to be. I can preach on this a lot, but I'm going to move on because all of these are good. There's this fear of missing out. That FOMO kills us. I mean, really, fear of missing out has caused a lot of people to end up in the far country, right? Let me tell you, you're not missing out on the middle of the pig pen. If that's where you end up, you miss nothing. This is really good. I don't know why y'all aren't really like... There's this, uh, there's, I think it's good, man. I'm just preaching to me. Um, there's this desire for total freedom. I want freedom. Freedom. 
You know that Mel Gibson. That was my imitation of Mel Gibson. I couldn't wait to graduate high school and get out of those idiots' homes. You know, eleven o'clock curfew. Who am I kidding? Come on, tell me what I can wear, what I can listen to, what I can read. What is wrong with these people? I need out of here. I gotta find myself. I need the freedom. Those people were brilliant. <laughs> I, I've discovered when I left and as I got into life that, wow, they knew so much more. Freedom is not all it's cracked up to be. And we don't understand what freedom is until we understand what it is to be free from the shackles of sin. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to. I do, but I don't have to. Uh, unforgiveness. It's why people get restless and leave. You know, they're just mad at the people around them. Listen, here's, here's one of the promises of church. Somebody, somewhere, is going to do you wrong. It's going to happen. I'm going to do you wrong. I don't want to. I don't mean to. I don't do it intentionally. But I'm just a broken person. I make mistakes. I've told you, I think everything is funny. And your pain may not be funny to you at the moment, but it is, sometimes it is to me. And I don't handle it that well. And some of you are like, he is a bad guy. I'm just giving you my, my problems, and I've got a bunch of them. And I just let you behind the curtain of what is really socially acceptable to show you. You don't even know all the steps of my brokenness. Most of you don't. People who live in my house probably do. I mean, they see me up close. I'm just saying, you're going to get hurt. You're going to have reasons for unforgiveness. And many people leave, get restless and leave because they're like, those people are just such a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. We are. We try not to be, but we are. And a denial of consequences. People get restless and leave because they don't think... I don't, I'm not responsible for this. You know, think about our society right now. And just go down the list here of things that we see in our society. Nobody's responsible for anything. Nobody. A number of years ago, I, um, it came to my attention that a couple of our older young people, they were juniors or seniors, this is in the day before blogs became more well-known. They had decided to post their thoughts on the Internet. And so they had posted their diary, their journal, their thoughts, these two young people, on the Internet. So it came to my attention, so I read it. I'm like, oh, my word, they are really struggling. And there's some, honestly, there were just some, blatant sin issues and there were some things and there's some struggles they're going through and it, it was there were some accusations um, about church and I'm like I don't think they're talking about the church I think they're talking about our church so I did what I am apt to do I just called them in I just said hey let's get together let's meet I'd like to talk to you about some stuff because I, I, I'm always of the opinion that, that confrontation is not bad. It's really good if you do it in love, right? 
Some of you are like, no way, I'm avoiding it at all costs. I spend my life avoiding confrontation. My general attitude is it doesn't get better over time. It's better to kind of hit it head up, straight on, and then laugh about it later. So, no, not laugh. That was a joke, totally. So, so I call him, and I had printed out what had been written. I, I was not trying to be ugly. I wasn't trying to hit him over the head. I was really concerned about them. So I called them in, and uh, in, and we were meeting here at the church, but it wasn't in my office. I tried to neutralize the ground just a little bit, even though it was at church, and just talk to them a little bit about what they had posted. I said, hey, listen, I read, your, I read your blog. I read your stuff, your diary here, and I just want to say I'm, I'm really concerned about a couple of things. I was trying to be as gentle. Listen, I was trying to be as gentle as possible. I was not coming at him like, what is wrong with you two? Idiots. It was in here, but I was trying to say gently to pull him out. And they said, what are you doing reading this? I'm like, I, I'm sorry? This isn't for you. This is private. And now I'm, I'm trying not to get fired up, right? I said two things. Number one, that's what you're going to go with? This is, your, this is your defense of what you've written is not what is in here, but what, what right do I have to read it? I said, you do understand God sees everything, right? He sees your heart. He sees the nature. And I said, besides, you see this WWW right here? That says World Wide Web. You're the one who posted this. If you didn't want me to read it, we, we didn't intend for you. To, I don't care what you intended. Everybody in the World Wide Web can read this right now. Your friends, your neighbors, your parents, everybody can read this. Listen, there's this denial of consequences that we go through that's the nature of our hearts. You know, eventually we were able to dig down a little bit to, to, to get to some issues. And I wish I could say I was successful in where we ended up, but I, I, we really weren't. These young people have wandered off into the darkness. Why? Because the consequences are this. We waste our resources. One of the resources we waste is our future. We waste what God has given us. We waste the gift of life he has in our lives. We end up wandering all around. We end up in want, not in, need, not in, not in richness. And we just get tired, weariness. I, I, I could list, I, these are all the W words I had, so I kind of ran out. But there's a whole list of things we could go with here of consequences of this nature of rebellion. Now, I've spent a lot of time on this. I'm going to try and move a little more quickly. But what I'm trying to say to you is don't look at this and think, oh, those people, they're bad. Those sinners, those tax. This is all of us if we're not careful. And I, want, I'm, I would love to be able to, to get in the minds and hearts of those in middle school and high school and college right now and say to you, Everything in the world is pulling you this direction. Everything is pulling you here. 
and there's a danger there that only, have, I, like I said, I, I thought my, honestly, I was so angry at my parents most of the time I was in high school. And I understood when these high school students came to talk to me, I was the authority figure. They were in high school. They knew everything. I knew nothing because I had been there. But that's the danger of rebellion. And it'll take you to a far country. It'll take you to a pig pen. It'll take you away from those who love you. Henry Nouwen says, I am the prodigal son. Every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found, why do I keep ignoring the place of true love and persist in looking for it elsewhere? Isn't that powerful? Henry Nouwen wrote a book on the return of the prodigal, which I highly recommend. It'll give you a lot of depth and wisdom in that typical Henry Nouwen kind of uh, idea. So, hey, I got two more points, but I'm going to move quicker. So, first is the demands of repentance. We're all rebellious, but what are the demands of turning away? Here's what happens in the parable. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. The nature of repentance is, first of all, this. we got to come to our senses. What does it mean? It means that we're in darkness. He, he, he was sensed less, right? He was sensed less. Now he's coming to his sense. I don't want to hammer this, but you should underline that. Because sin always makes us stupid when we go there. It, may, it makes us lose our sense. It gives us some sort of joy for the moment, but it leads us to a place where we're cutting off the sense of godliness, the sense of the power and presence of God. So what did he do? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Hey, here's the nature of repentance. He could have said to himself, well, the guys at my dad's house, the servants there, they've got it much better than me. They're eating good. I should go back. I'm going to just stay here in the pig pen now. Mentally, he could have assented. But there had to be, a, I got to get up, and I got to leave, and I got to go. So repentance, metanoia, there's this idea of a change of mind, but it's not just a change of mental perspective. It is a change of direction. I'm going this way, away from God, I'm going to turn and go toward God. We've talked about this a lot in the past. So if you're a regular attender and have been here for a number of years at Fullness, this is not. This is just the nature of repentance. The demand of it is leave, go. Leave, go. I really could preach this for a long time because I've witnessed way too long people who agree with me about something but say I'm not going to leave. Again, an instance from our church 20-plus years ago, again, posted publicly, was a young man who said that he, um, he, he was engaged in same-sex attraction. He had become, homo he's been homosexual, that's who he was, now he's just going to, that's the way he was going to live his life. So I met with him, and I said, what, um, I, I've seen this, Dif hey, by the way, different posting than the other posting I was just telling you about. But he, he posts that he's going to be practice homosexuality. And I'm, I'm like, okay, 
what, um, what do you think God, what is God's view on this? What does the Bible say about this? Oh, it's sin. I was shocked. I thought, okay, there's going to be a justification here. Either the Bible's old, that was for then, that was for now. I thought there was going to be something else. So for him to sit there and say, no, God's against it. It's sin. And I'm like, so there's no doubt in your mind that this is sin. No, none. Okay, great. Let's, let's turn away. No, I'm going to still do it. I'm going to still walk this direction. You see, repentance, you can in your head say one thing. And listen, I'm not just picking on one sexual sin. It could be thie thieving. You could be a thievery person. You could, it could be anything. It could be anything that the Bible says is wrong or God says it. And listen, there are things that the Bible doesn't even talk about that God could speak to you that it's wrong for you. Right? Hello? There could be something in your heart like... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that I'm addicted to my iPad. And so one of the things I'm trying to do on this sabbatic is kind of distance myself from my iPad. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be successful, but I'm feeling in my heart. That's what I, now, I could say to you all day, I'm going to not do this. Where in the Bible? Thou shalt not iPad. Right? But the Bible does say... Hey, everything is permissible for you, but not everything is beneficial. You shall not have, what? Two masters. Don't let something else steal your heart and steal your time. So there may be something totally different that you need to focus on that God is speaking to you of. That's the nature of repentance. That's the demand of it, is that you, wow, I don't like living here among the pigs. I'm going to go eat at my father's house. Third point is the discovery of reconciliation. And this is really where the whole thing is coming to. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son, who's been practicing his, he's been practicing his speech, right? All the way home. Can you imagine? Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. When I get him, I'm gonna. I got it. I got it down. I'm ready to go. He starts giving his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him before he says anything else. He says, "Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet." Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There is joy in reconciliation. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. There is joy when we come to know who we really are. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. This is my conviction, my theological position on sin. I can never stop, tell you to stop sinning enough that you'll actually stop sinning. Why? Because there's, there's pleasure in it. There is some sort of pleasure you're deriving in the sin you're participating in. Just fill in the blank. Whatever it is, it's bringing something to you. But what I can hold out to you is that there is a better pleasure. There is a better joy. In your presence, there's 
fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Go, go for the higher pleasure. Go for the higher joy, not the lesser. This lesser will bring you something, but it won't bring you what you really, it won't bring you fullness. It won't bring you pleasure evermore. Because why? You're going to have to come back to this trough. You're going to have to come back to this place. And you know what? Probably it's going to take a little more of whatever brought you pleasure in the first place to get that same buzz. And then the next time, you're, not, you're going to lose it. But you know, pornography is a great illustration. Um, it, it, studies have been shown. It, there's one level most guys enter, women too now. And then it just escalates and escalates and escalates because they need more and more. Till then, it's like the pleasure is found in the presence of God. There's joy in reconciliation. There's this discovery. And here's part of our problem. I told you it was going to take me two weeks, didn't I? And I've gone a long time on just this one part. Here's our problem. We don't really know that the Father really is that happy to see us. Greg talked about this the other night a little bit when he was um, uh, teaching. But there's this idea that we have in our hearts that there's joy in the Father's presence, but not really for me. He's not that happy to see me. He's not that joyful to see us. Other people, yes, I'm sure he's very happy with them. But not so much me. And listen, saints throughout history have struggled with this. If you want to read someone who really struggled with the joy of the Father, go read Martin Luther. I mean, a lot of what he struggled with was the, he was think, always thinking God was mad at him. That was the struggle of his life. Was I got to do more because God is mad with me. And he said this, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. Lifelong struggle. We need to discover the joy of the Father who loves us. I mean, look, listen to this passage from Romans. It says, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Listen, when you discover the joy of reconciliation, you'll realize that when you were at war with God, he still loved you. How much did he love you? Enough to send his own son to die for you. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. But now you're part of the family. You've been reconciled. How much more? People, we need to discover the much more of the Christian life. And a lot of it is not the extraneous. The real joy of it is found in fellowship with the Father. How much more does God love you? So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, oh, wow. We, we're not just family. We're friends of God. We're in the family. We're friends of his. Do you feel like a friend of God today? Do you realize the joy of fellowship with him? The, the, the light on this painting, the center part of the return of the prodigal focuses everything when you see the painting, and I should have put it up, focuses on the hands of the father.
on the back of the prodigal son, whose robes are in tatters, whose head has been shaved, who is just a wreck. But the light and the center of the painting falls on the hands of the father, embracing this broken, sinful, rebellious son who has returned. Let the hands of the father embrace you afresh and anew today so that you know that you're loved. Now, you're going to sit there maybe and say, yeah, but I've got this sin issue. You don't know how bad. You know what? God still he loves you. He wants to help you. He wants to direct you. You're not going to be perfect. The son was not perfect when he returned to the father. He was still a messed up, broken, screwed up kid. But the father loved him. Henry Nouwen says this, here the mystery of my life is unveiled. I am loved so much that I am left free to leave home. The blessing is there from the beginning. I have left it and keep on leaving it. But the Father is always looking for me with outstretched arms to receive me back and whisper again in my ear, you are my beloved. On you my favor rests. Receive the favor and rest of the Father today because you were once dead, you were once lost, but now you're found. Lord, today we recognize our position as prodigals. We recognize that we're always tempted to leave. Just as we sang in that great hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Lord, I pray that we would once again discover the joy of reconciliation, that our hearts would be turned toward you, that God, I pray for all of those who feel like they're in a far country today, that are here with us or listening online. I pray that God, you would, they would come to their senses, that through the power of the Spirit, they would wake up and they would see you, they'd return to you, Lord, may our fellowship with you be so tight that we can sense your hands on our shoulders today in that close of friendship, family relationship, and joy with you. Spirit of God, move among us. Let your truth prevail today. I want us to sing... The song, Run to the Father. And in your heart today, I just, I want you to see that when you're running to God, he's already been running toward you. And just receive the truth that he loves you that much. You know, in this parable, the undignified response of the father was to run to the son as the son is running to him. Something a man of wealth and privilege would never do. But God loved you so much, he sent his own son to die for you. He's run to you already and loves you that much. While we sing this, if you brought an offering today or you'd like to give, you're welcome to, to bring your offering to the front. Maybe you just want to bring yourself a fresh and new. Just write your name on a card and drop it in. As an act of worship, just say, God, I'm, I'm running back to you.
I know I've been afar off, and, but I, I want to come back to you today. Just put your name on a card, or maybe you have a prayer request you'd like to, to, to give to us. You can do it online. You can do it here this morning. But most of all, just for the moment we have left, just stand and let's worship the Father who loves us so much.